0: This is Danny Holland, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour Podcast.
1: You are tuned in to episode 4.6 of the Avalanche Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour Podcast is proudly presented by TAS by MND, an avalanche of solutions. And our good friends at 10 Barrel Brewing drink beer outside with additional support from InterWest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. One of the main reasons I started this podcast was to create a space where members of our community could share. Share opinions, share thoughts, share stories, all in an environment that would be free of judgment. I know that I learned best from hearing stories and I envisioned a platform where people could learn from the stories of others no matter what the outcome of the story. This, it turns out, is harder than it sounds. It takes work to not be ashamed of our mistakes. The avalanche environment is often referred to as a wicked learning environment that can lack small bits of feedback that help the user error correct throughout time and space. Unfortunately, the feedback that users get in this environment can often be catastrophic. For this reason, it's my belief that it's so important to learn from other people's experiences. I hope this podcast is helping to do its part to reduce the culture of shame and help shift to a culture of learning. Before we jump into the interview, I want to urge you to go become a member of A3 or donate to the organization. That's right, the American Avalanche Association. During this season of giving, an anonymous donor has put forth a matching gift. That means that your donations to A3 go even further through December 31st of this year. This generous donor will match dollar for dollar up to $5,000. It's a no brainer. To sweeten the deal, if you donate any amount, you'll be entered to win some great prizes, including a pair of Scarpa ski boots, an Ortovox 40 liter pack, and a nice new wool top from Icebreaker. Go to tripledub.americanavalancheassociation.org and click on the red donate button in the top right corner to donate today. Go do it. Do it now. Hit pause. Go do it right now. As always, a big thanks to the sponsors of the show, TAS by MND, 10 Barrel Brewing, and InterWest Insurance. We couldn't do it without you. Thanks, you guys. Today's episode will tell the tragic story of an unfortunate avalanche that took the life of a young man in the Tetons. This is by no way an exhaustive analysis of the accident, but more a conversational perspective of one of the members of the party that was there on that fateful day. I will attach some links of the accident report, an article written by another member of the party, and some photos to the show notes if you're interested in seeing more about this avalanche. For now, here's Danny Holland of Jackson, Wyoming, with his perspective of the events of December 26, 2013. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks for making the time, man. Happy to be here. Welcome to my living room. I'm hopeful my dog doesn't bark at you. Uh, Yes, she she looks pretty comfortable right now (laughs) on her bed. So we'll see how that goes. Danny, I was hoping you could introduce yourself to our listeners, talk about where you're from, when you came to the Tetons, and some of the work you do. Uh, Great. So I came to Jackson Hole Pretty much ten years
0: ago, next month, uh, I remember remember it for whatever reason. Pretty specifically as November uh, 9th, two thousand and nine. <laughs> so I had uh, recently got a job at Teton Gravity Research as a post production supervisor there, and uh, moved from Colorado. I was living in, living in Steamboat at the time, and uh, yeah, made the six hour drive north and for my first time in the tetons which was kind of interesting i showed up at pretty much at dusk and it got really dark and i was like this is place is really dark and really cold (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i worked at teton gravity research for about four years um and then jumped on over and worked uh in a similar role as post-production supervisor at brain farm and then uh, back in 2016, I uh, found myself um, at Steo as our producer, um, kind of handling all of our kind of content production and, and some of our photography.
1: Nice. All right. Well Steo seems like it's a great company and great place to be these days. Yeah, it's uh, an amazing place to work. Um,
0: we have uh, such a great group of people that we get a kind of you know, collaborate and inspire people to get outside um and and the clothing is um yeah pretty much all i own now but uh super pumped to to be there and uh we're doing some fun stuff i think we've been we've been growing year over year and uh and for me it's kind of like i inch closer and closer to those you know big brain farm budgets that require two helicopters but (laughs) I don't know if we'll ever get that big. Not
1: quite there. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, maybe you could just explain to our listeners about kind of what it's like doing some production in the backcountry, trying to get photos or videos, and, and kind of what is, you know, I'm sure it's always different, but what does a typical day look like with you and athletes in the in the backcountry? What are you guys trying to do out there? Uh, so, interesting enough, last winter –
0: I got injured. I tore my meniscus, so I didn't spend really any time in the backcountry country um, shooting or filming. Um, but did work with some local production companies, KGB, um, as well as West Bank Media, um, and a couple others to to do some of the production. But in the past, uh, you know, it's it's a process. I think filming in snow has got to be one of the hardest environments in which to capture good footage um i think there's people that really know how to do it well um and it takes a lot of time to do that uh so the you know the concept of just heading out there to get those great powder shots or um some of that a plus action is is really hard uh both from a athlete perspective, as well as a a cinematographer perspective. So um, I think the first thing that's relevant probably to this podcast is the safety elements that go into that. Um, And I think that's something that is kind of been an ongoing process for us to develop, you know, how we as a company putting people out there or um, getting people out into the backcountry, how do we approach that process. Um, sometimes that's the photographer who takes that kind of leadership role and responsibility. Um, and other times that's kind of us, uh, steel as the one, uh, leading the charge on, on kind of how we want to approach, uh, those different areas. Is it
1: safe to say you don't get a whole lot of skiing when you're out there trying (laughs) to get the shot? Yeah, that would be pretty accurate. I think (laughs) most people who film skiing don't
0: get a lot of skiing, but, uh, I think there's still some good turns you get
1: along the way. I'm sure. And it's just good to be out there. Totally. Um, So, Danny, you were part of a group that was involved in an avalanche on Pucker Face, outside of the Jackson Hole Mountain Resort boundary, on December 26, 2013. So, the the day after Christmas, um, six years ago, I guess. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons that we're here talking today is, is Danny's been willing to share his, his story um, of being, being a part of that group that triggered, a, uh, unfortunately, a fatal avalanche on the day after Christmas. So um, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you and, and let you take it away. You're going to talk a little bit about the seasonal snowpack and, and weather factors leading up to that day, um, but you've told me before that it's a you feel like it's a really good case study in in the human factor side of things. Yeah, the heuristics. And so. Yeah, the heuristics and the group dynamics. So, um, thanks for thanks for being here and sharing your story. I know it's not always easy to talk about these things, but um, it's important to to share with the community so that we can all learn from from these accidents.
0: Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, when something like this first happens, and I've kind of reflected on that you know, being six years ago, uh, I think for me it was sort of this um, obviously fear or ridicule from the community and, you know, kind of wanting to hide or run away from this event and and sort of kind of bury it deep down. Obviously learn from it as you do very deeply, but kind of the public face of it, you try to sort of... Um, dodge it in a lot of senses and i think i've started to kind of go back on that um idea and in, in that uh just through speaking about it and talking about it i think you kind of get something out of that process and i can't remember his name but he was the keynote speaker at last year's why event um at the center for the arts and similar type of situation involved in an avalanche and you know really tried to bury that um that event to a point of making him you know sick and ill and it kind of like eats away at you so um yeah I hope everybody can can learn from this experience and it does have a profound effect on the way you see skiing after an event like this how you enjoy it kind of changes at least it did for me um and you just understand those consequences in such you know so much more reality um and changes you forever so <laughs> uh man where to where to begin i think december 25th christmas we uh had mike kazanji um who passed away in the avalanche we had him and his family over um they were in town visiting mike kazanji was was new to town had just moved to jackson had a couple other friends we had mutual friends. Um, he had moved to town uh, to pretty much, you know, embrace the the ski bum life. He had uh, worked hard, saved a bunch of money, and kind of had a plan to to really um, enjoy enjoy things to its fullest. And so, we had a great evening, played cards against humanity with, you know, with our parents, like uh, which, as you can imagine, can get pretty pretty funny so just had like the most incredible evening the night before and and from that you know led to let's go skiing the next day let's meet at the tram in the morning you know we don't have to kind of rush out there uh there had been a a recent storm cycle kind of the I always feel like it comes in Christmas or December and in the Tetons where where we get that good good blanket of snow um the snowpack was pretty average I think at that time of the year Uh, but you know this was kind of um, one of the bigger storms that had rolled through Um, I think starting on the 22nd and maybe finishing on the 24th um, dumped about two feet of snow I think 24 inches or so Um, and you know decent amount of wind averaging around 25 miles an hour and you know gusting up to 60 miles an hour so uh, definitely was moving some snow around. And, and then there was kind of two days without any new snow um, and things kind of mellowed out. The avalanche danger uh, went, you know, from high um, down to uh, moderate there on the day of the 26th uh, when we headed out. So, you know, our goal was to kind of go out and do a lap on Cody. I think in my mind going into that day, it was ski something that, I felt comfortable skiing. Um, I came to Jackson as a as a pretty capable skier, but you know this place has some uh, pretty incredible terrain that can really stretch that idea. So for me, a lot of my um, time uh, venturing into the backcountry was done through people more experienced than myself that um, kind of knew the area, knew the terrain. Uh, and the snow, you know, and kind of understood the dangers. So I explored um, all sorts of different places over that kind of, I guess, first four years or three years um, and was excited to kind of show Mike Kazanji, you know, one of these new areas uh, in like a four shadows or a no shadows uh, ski run off of Cody, um, all with their own you know aspects of risk, uh, but from a um, comfortable kind of standpoint, you know those those two runs I felt uh, very familiar with. Um, I had uh, the run you know that that ended up um, fortunately taking Mike's life. Puckerface, I had only skied once before, kind of later in the season, um, and so. Uh, for us that day, I think a run out of code out, out to Cody was was those two runs. Um, but as things do happen here, you uh, you know get connected with a couple other people. So the group went from myself, um, my brother, another friend, to my brother's roommate, and then a friend of Mike Kazanjis. So we went from a group of uh, potentially four to a group of six, um, two of which uh, of those six people I had never skied with before. Um, but they all came with their own understanding and, and knowledge of the backcountry. And I think in a little different ways, um, I kind of deferred to some of their kind of backcountry knowledge since they um, had been doing a lot more kind of long tours and uh backcountry runs in the park and so yeah so we met at the tram it was around 11 a.m and our group went from four to six and we we headed out the the top gate um there to head towards cody and start our kind of hike up there and uh i think that's you know it's so transparent kind of looking back on it now and and where you see all these ways that things went wrong um you know, we didn't have an established leader of the group. Um, I think if the group would have been four of us, I think that would have been, um, would have just established itself a little bit more obvious through the type of, through the people I knew skiing with. And I think as we added these new people in, it was kind of unsure who had the most experience, who had the most knowledge. And, and so the, all of a sudden the, the heuristics there of the group started to play a part in our kind of decision making and our abilities and to take risks that maybe we wouldn't take before and so we we started the hike and um i think in my mind and in you know probably the friend the other friend i was with you know we had a pretty set plan to ski no shadows and foreshadows um and so it wasn't until you know you look over and you see Puckerface, which is one of you know, it's kind of like a hit list item if you're a pretty capable skier in Jackson, and um, and you know what that you know 48 degree run can kind of feel like, or you want to know what that's like, and so I think that's kind of what ended up leading us there was seeing that you know beautifully untracked uh, on a Bluebird day, um, and someone wanted to just take a look at it. And it was just that simple kind of action that sort of started this churn of events that, that kind of were unstoppable in in our ability to kind of recalibrate and, and recorrect on our, our plan that, that maybe in my mind we, we had or um, we should have had um, or should have communicated better about. And so we end up um, there at the top of Pucker and um i think one of the factors that plays into this is the temperatures were getting warmer throughout the day there was a lot of solar heating happening with just kind of coming off a storm cycle and having now kind of bluebird sunny conditions so i think there was some heat playing into to the snowpack and so we you know uh the two uh new party members thought that we could uh, cut a cornice to drop on pucker to test it, you know, which which may is, maybe I think, was kind of where this uh, divergent of understanding like kind of the side country, back country, the Jackson Hole back country, side country, and um, a maybe more traditional back country approach to how to understand terrain. Um, and, and so through that process, not much was learned Um, nothing really happened they weren't there is really isn't a cornice up there to cut so that made it kind of difficult to really learn much through that but i think it was kind of like just all of a sudden that was like this step of like well uh, we're gonna try to ski this you know we're gonna make we're gonna spend all this time trying to like cut a cornice in order to try to ski this thing and and i think that's one of these aspects of like where in your gut something doesn't feel right but you just don't speak up you know you just don't communicate maybe authoritatively enough or um, like it just feels like a a feeling And, and I think you know going back to sort of this idea that that in a lot of ways the side country access in Jackson is done you know, kind of at your own risk with your own tolerance, you know, there's everybody kind of wants to approach their, uh, their wrist and what they're willing to, to do in different ways. Some people want to go out there and ski something mellow. Some people want to go out there and ski something more difficult. And you really can find maybe more or less both of those options in the, within the same group. And so a lot of times that leads, I think, to this idea, at least for me in my head, of like, well, everybody's kind of taking care of themselves. You know, like everybody has uh, a different skill set in which to, to determine if this is too dangerous for them or the right amount of danger. And I think that's kind of the trap that I fell into, just sort of letting others um, – Kind of look out for themselves in regards to what they feel comfortable doing you know i did not feel comfortable skiing that it was um it was not something i was going to ski but i wasn't necessarily the person at that time to say you guys should not ski this and i think that's um you know the biggest regret is not speaking up and not um doing more to try to you know protect people um and so I think that's kind of how we ended up sort of going from just taking a look at it to let's test the snow to all of a sudden, you know, someone is going ski, to ski cut it. Um, and so, you know, it, you know, so Mike, for whatever reason, um, he volunteered and and there's all these things that, that just go through your head thinking back on that like why you know why do we let that happen you know just just all the little things that that play into that ability to get to that point in the process and and still kind of be following that incorrect path or the um, the unfortunate path and so you know We kind of got ready, we did gear up, and we were kind of prepared, which kind of, it's like such a sign in itself. It's like, why should we, why should we be prepared? We should just avoid things that cause that level of um, anxiety for us, you know, like, man, it's just such a, it's just so yeah, so obvious as you kinda of think back on it. And I think obviously that's a really tough part about <laughs> having this uh having the ability to constantly go over it. <laughs> um and so he he uh yeah, went out there and ski cut it to the left and it basically you know, there was some talk of it from one of the other um party members of it like basically breaking or if it's gonna go it's gonna go kind of below these rocks that were below us or below kind of where he would enter and and ski cut across but the whole thing you know ripped about i want to say like 50 yards on each side and he was just flat in the middle of it when it happened um and so uh you know we basically jumped jumped into action and um you know one of the party members skied right down after him, and then I went up around with another of our party members and skied down um I think four shadows. um and and you know what was pretty amazing is uh, we got to him in I think six minutes. they had probed him, and we were starting to excavate him and uh and yeah you're kind of in a and there was luckily some other group members that were a part of a, a guided group that had seen the event from a different place and were able to get were there before we got there um and and yeah it it's just like a pretty i mean it's you just hope no one ever has to try to dig their friend out of a of an avalanche because it, it's not easy. It doesn't happen fast. And you kind of, um, yeah, it, you know, it doesn't have good outcomes all the time. And I think that's like, you know, you just think like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He's, you know, just where we found him, right? Like he's already been found. We already have his boot uncovered. You know he's gonna be okay. He's gonna be okay. And then, um, you know, it it just doesn't doesn't get any better. And so, yeah. So it was a really really unfortunate kind of event, you know, especially for for something that didn't you know didn't have to happen.
1: And so you you guys had seven or eight people digging. You had a large number of people digging, right? And, yeah. And had him had his airway uncovered in 16 minutes, I think, which is, you know, pretty quick. Um, and so, uh, I mean, even in the best case scenario, this was kind of the best case scenario rescue. It sometimes just isn't enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's kind of what you think. It's like, I have all this rescue training. I have all this, um, you know, in a lot of ways, that's kind of the Avalanche, the earlier versions, I feel like, of Avalanche 1 training um, was all about rescuing, <laughs> you know, like so much time is spent on that rescue process, or it had been, and taking that Avalanche 2 class um, a few years ago, a few winters ago, you know, it's, it's amazing how much went into the planning and the group dynamics and leading of a group and all the right abilities to set yourself up for success as you head out there. Rather than this ability to react to if something goes bad, it's more um, about going out there with a good plan and, and a safe plan or a plan that has the right risk tolerance that you feel comfortable with or that the group feels comfortable with. And that no one person is more important than the group in a lot of ways. I think that's, you know, such a big lesson I learned is that we have to, you know, when you establish a group, you have to kind of see that as, as the most important thing, not one person's desire to ski this cool line or that thing over there. It's a matter of what's the best for the group because they're going to all be affected whatever happens. Um, whether it be an injury or something else, they're the ones that are gonna, you know, have to save you, and um, and it's gonna have an impact on how they live their lives. And I think that's you know, the way I was impacted. It just changed skiing for me forever. You know, it was it wasn't just this kind of invincible fun thing that. Uh, I could go do anymore had so much more consequence um, and uh, and so you know how do you find that kind of enjoyment again you know because it's changed and I think that's you know been an interesting journey
1: sure so Danny, maybe you could break down what happened after uh Mike was dug out in terms of the rescue and um, yeah, so I think at, you
0: know, like you mentioned, we had we had his airway, you know, basically his head uncovered in a in about sixteen minutes, and I think that was what was so crazy is like you have this boot, you have this um, this object of this thing you're trying to save, and yet it's still so difficult to get to the thing that matters most. Um, and you know, we got, got them fully dug out and there was about, yeah, seven of us or so. There was another guided party there, um, digging and, you know, we were trying to cycle, but you're also just trying to do as much as you can, um, as fast as you can. And that idea of exhaustion is so true in those environments. You don't, you'll never quite realize it until you're there. Because you cannot work fast enough, you cannot work hard enough and it really um, you know can can make it hard to you know, do things for a really long period of time. Uh, so we were really lucky in all the great people we had there and obviously having some of the local guides as experts and capable um, support um, was huge. And so you know we were able to, dig him out and then by the time we got him there we were able to you know there was other medical staff that had come over from the resort to support you know his rescue and um and so yeah we we were basically they were, they were giving him CPR and the helicopter um was called in and establishing a landing zone um and and yeah, I don't I don't really remember how long the whole thing took like when when he actually lifted off, but you know, basically went to a got him on a stretcher and then got him in the helicopter and then, you know, they took off and took him took him back down to town and we were, you know, you just hope hope that something magical will happen, a miracle will happen or something, but I think um yeah, I it was hard, it was hard to feel like much would change from, from where it was at that point, at the end of the day, or at the end of that sort of event of, of digging him out and, and all the effort that went in at that point in, in time.
1: Was there any any care given to the the members of the party, like you guys, like what what happened with you guys? You skied down, and Like did anybody talk to you? Patrollers or anybody from the avalanche center so we we basically yeah kind of were I mean, just we sent on our, our way,
0: way? we just sent on our way really and it's it is it's like you're totally shell-shocked and kind of you know engulfed in all of a sudden this quiet silence of the mountains after you know such a hectic uh crazy period um and we we yeah we skied down through Rock Springs and and went to the patrol office there, the the clinic at the bottom of the the mountain uh, and filled out a incident report of sorts from what I remember. And that was kind of like the first time they brought up this whole concept of like uh, kind of therapy or like, you know, how are you gonna sort of work through this incident? And at the time, it really didn't. It didn't make sense to me in a lot of ways. I think, yeah, it's like how. How do you get better? Because you don't just walk away from that. Feeling normal, I think you you it changes you, and I think that change can impact you in all sorts of different ways, and kind of how you see yourself in the world, how you see your actions. Uh, and so so we got a little bit of support from that and then so Mike's brother Pete came out and he kind of talked with all of us he he's just a super smart engineering kind of guy and s- just smart as Mike was when I came to accounting and uh, and so he came out and just talked to us and and that kind of was a I think the first step in sort of trying to dissect what happened and sort of getting it off your chest and sort of expressing what happened so that you could start to process it a little bit more. Um, And then we kind of, we gathered and sort of went through events as a group, um, the five of us and a couple others, I think. Um, And I think we had some good, you know, a lot of the similar takeaways that are now, you know, like in my avalanche two course, were very prevalent. And it it was so refreshing for some of those group heuristics to be incorporated into the uh, training and certification stuff because uh, we were all capable skiers. We had a really lucky rescue as far as time and everything else goes. But the whole goal is to never be in that position. And I think... um, And that's those other factors that can really can really trick you into feeling like um, things are going to be fine um, or that it's okay to do something that that it might not be.
1: So, Danny, what are some of the tangible ways that you've changed the way that you travel with others in the backcountry, both for work and for your personal recreation? You mentioned taking the level two, which yeah, I think that was was a a, great step. Taking
0: my level two was a huge um, step in that kind of direction. I think for me, just to feel more um, comfortable and not reliant on so many other people. And I think you know that was my reflection on my kind of side country or back country experience had been call it as a follower or being guided in a way. And so I wanted to have the knowledge, or as most, you know, the best knowledge I had to, to be a leader and, and to speak up. Um, and so that's what kind of led me to an Avalanche 2 course, um, to, which was fantastic. I took it here locally up at Togiti Pass, and um, I was just so thrilled to learn some of the techniques around group management. Um, so yeah going through it it's like obviously having a good sense of the snowpack before you go outside what are the recent events that you need to know about in which to make decisions from um you know having your no-go and your you know terrain that's available to you from the start so knowing where you're not going to go is just as important as where you want to go so that way you don't get out there and you know as easy as let's go take a look at that type of situation arises that can lead to in my you know in in my case this this horrible event so um, i think also just kind of that communication um making people feel comfortable as a group so that they can speak up uh i think is also a really important piece of that you know so that someone doesn't feel like they can't say anything or that they shouldn't say anything I think creating that environment within the people within the group that you ski with is um, really important so that you're getting all those data points Um, communicating just transparently and openly as you kind of go out there around what you're seeing and what you're feeling and I think all of those sorts of elements really help you know, create positive outcomes as we go out to the backcountry.
1: Right. And, and most of us have the ability to freely choose who we want to ski and ride with. Um, professionally, for you, you don't always have that option, right? Like you're going out there and, and doing production shoots with, with people who you might not know, right? And so, so, what process do you go through now in your professional realm? To make sure everybody's on the same page and kind of manage some of that risk tolerance when you have other objectives of finishing a project or getting content so steel pretty fortunate in that we we're kind of new to the
0: call it ski film space or ski content space and and at our size we were never going to necessarily jump out of the box and compete with the likes of a really a Teton Gravity Research or um, some other bigger brands that uh, tend to put a lot of time into the, that space and have really the athletes. I think that's a huge piece of it is the talent or the athletes, because they are such a factor from a professional sense. Um, I think as we've developed, you know, from kind of early on in 2016, where we had a lot of ambassadors as kind of our talent um you know that has has evolved into to more athletes in some cases especially in skiing and i think um like you mentioned i think it's important to pick people that you feel comfortable with that have the same values as you when you go out into the the backcountry i think having those conversations prior to going out into the backcountry are also important um and so we've done that a little bit through, um, you know, honestly, we also incorporate that into some of the stuff STEO does internally. You know, we're all living here locally. And and so we've done a couple lunch and learn type events where we brought in Sarah Carpenter from the um, American Avalanche Institute to just give us a update on the snowpack and talk about some of these other factors and just general kind of avalanche information so we try to communicate and transport knowledge as best we can around that stuff um but i think going into this next season i think uh it's something we can get even better at and i i think we've got a really talented group of people um working with us uh both from a production end to to the talent side of things and i think uh, we've tried to pick those people with those kind of values in mind. And so I don't know if that exactly answered
1: your question. <laughs> well, it sounds like, I mean, uh, just like within the culture of your ski partners, you all within Steo are creating a culture of, of kind of safety first and and being mindful of group dynamics and some of these heuristic traps that, that you've been speaking of. Um, so... That sounds yeah. like a pretty good work environment to be in when when it's your job to be in the backcountry with athletes who, who maybe want to push the envelope a little bit, right? Yeah, I think as we start
0: to step more and more into that side of it, where it's not, you know, this easy run or just that, you know, treed powder shot type of thing, I think as we try to get into that spectrum we hold true to those values around safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it really just comes down to a lot of good communication and pre-communication and, and uh, focus on, um, on those factors that can have positive and negative impacts um, and finding the right
1: people that, that
0: kind of agree with that stuff.
1: So clearly a traumatic incident like this takes its toll on The family members of the the victim, as well as the group members that were involved with the party that was involved, as well as the rescuers. There's a significant amount of um, processing that must need to be done and a certain amount of post-traumatic stress, you could say, um, that's involved with something like this. Uh, We're coming up on six years of the event this year and, and, and how are you doing, Danny? Thanks for asking, Caleb.
0: Um, I think better than, yeah, better than I've done in the past. I, I think after, after the event, I think for me, it was burying myself in my work and kind of trying to disconnect from it in a lot of ways which I think is pretty common for these um, dramatic events like this. And I think out of that, you know, you don't necessarily find a lot of like solace long-term. And so I think it's for me been a slow process of trying to reopen that up through, you know, really this type of conversation or other types of conversations about the event when I took my Avi Two class, you know, I got to speak about it there really kind of for the first time. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting because I think it impacts people. You know, you don't necessarily just run into people all the time that um, have had something like that happen. So I think through kind of that reprocessing of, of talking about it has sort of helped me kind of, um, yeah, not not kind of bury it deep and let it eat away at me, but try to learn from it, try to help others learn where they can from it. Um, yeah, and hope hope to make you know as best of decisions I can moving forward from that knowledge. Um, but yeah, a little bit of I think I think therapy in this kind of situation is a really important thing to to look into if you've ever had something like this happen. I think in a lot of ways, we kind of process things in our, our own way. Um, you know, some that might work pretty well. Others, I think for me, it definitely had an impact in certain ways. Um, and so trying to kind of understand that and and kind of, yeah, reprocess that, I think, was a pretty big step I took more recently, actually, in the last couple of months and so um, so yeah it's been it's been it's been good it's paid off to kind of work through that and
1: uh, yeah not be scared to talk about it right I'm sure it's a process and I'm sure it'll continue to be a process right yeah I think it's a never
0: ending process to kind of uh, yeah move on from it in a lot of ways or um, maybe not move on but but sort of uh, accept it for what it is and and who it made me, or who it's made me now, mm-hmm. and having to you know really accept that and embrace that and um, you know
1: feel comfortable about that going into the world. Right. Well, Danny, thank you very much for taking the time to talk about your experience on the Avalanche Hour podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, and hopefully. Um, Yeah, hopefully it's helpful to somebody else. All right, cheers man, thanks. Thanks. Danny, thanks for sharing. The community commends you for your willingness and openness. Our condolences go out to the family and friends of Mike. We hope that we shared this story in the most respectful way possible. If you have a story to tell, please reach out. It will be shared in the most respectful way so that others may learn from it. Please send me your feedback. You can email me at theavalanchehourpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend about it and rate and review it on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Check out the website, triple to see contributor bios, search for other episodes. Or pick up some last-minute stocking stuffers for the holidays. Please don't forget to give us a follow on the socials. We are at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. Please be safe out there and don't forget to make the most of this holiday season by spending quality time with friends and family. Appreciate the ones around you. Our artwork was created by Mike T. You demand T. Music today at the start of the show was North Country by Anatech. And at the end of the show, Mountaintop by Audio Binger. Use of the tracks are made possible through the Creative Commons license and were found at freemusicarchive.com. I will see you back here in 2020. Wow, that's crazy. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there. Cheers.